and welcome to the You're Not Qualified podcast. My name is Courtney Heater, your host, and today I have another episode in the application series, if you will. I've had a few episodes now where I interview someone whose intention is to help you apply your current skills or apply certain fundamental ideas to grow your personal success in whatever you want to explore that you aren't traditionally qualified for, whether that be a career or a hobby or something else that interests you. These episodes will be a semi-regular occurrence. They have been thus far and I really enjoy them. I get pretty good feedback on them and I think that they are valuable. They're really valuable to me and I hope that they're valuable to you. So we're going to keep it up. And today we will be chatting with Paige, who is on a personal mission to relieve the suffering and toxic relationship people might have with money. She has expertise in this area and is a well of money information and how it relates to self. I'm really excited about it. Also up top, I've said this uh, last episode, but there's going to be a little bit of feedback coming We got a puppy on Sunday, so this is coming out Thursday, so the Sunday prior, and he is a miniature schnauzer. He's awesome. His name is James, but he is, of course, you know, eight weeks old, so he needs a lot of stimulation, so there's going to be squeaks, and you'll probably hear his name a couple times as he gets into things, but I forgot how quickly they run around and shit and, like, get into stuff. He's like already fetching balls. And I'm like, is this normal? (laughs) Is he just a genius? But it is. They just grow fast. They're just little animals. They grow fast. They grow up so fast. Not fast enough. On a very serious note, in this episode, we talk about the guilt around having money. And one of the ways to mitigate that guilt is through giving back. There has been a consistent dark shadow over the world as of the last couple of years. It is even darker now with the Russian invasion in Ukraine. My heart goes out to those impacted near and far. It's an unimaginable horror that the people of Ukraine are living. There are many causes to give to if that is something that you want to donate your time or your money to, probably money for the majority of us here in the States. Um, but you know, if you're if you're abroad, maybe even time. There are those on the front lines you can give to animals that are involved, uh, helping people get out safely. Just look for ways to help if this is something that you feel pulled to do. And again, I'm so sorry for anyone suffering. It is always darkest before the dawn, but of course. It's incredibly hard to see that and realize that when you are going through just livid trauma. All right, so that aside, um, not, not aside, that said, I am excited to bring you this. Of course, there's that, that solemn feeling right now overall so it is it does feel a little bit weird even putting out an episode this week but i do want to bring you this information and because it has a tone of giving back 
it does fit with that as well. Look for causes that you are especially drawn to, and I encourage you to give your money. Okay, let's get into this wealth stuffed episode, shall we? Let's go. Greetings, cosmic children of the universe. Welcome to my serenity circle. Please leave any bad vibes outside the healing vortex. And now, prepare. Thank you so much, Paige, for joining me on the You're Not Qualified podcast. I'm so excited to have you here all the way from across the world. <laughs> Yeah, thank you so much, Courtney. I'm really excited to be here. And I'm just so excited to dive deep and share some golden nuggets with a lot of our audience here today. (laughs) Me too. So I wanted to start with a little bit of a synopsis of our intent for this episode, because it is not the typical episode of the You're Not Qualified podcast. But the mission of this podcast is to encourage people to explore and pursue things that they're not qualified for, air quotes around qualified with a caveat that those things are often things that'll better the world. So inevitably, money comes into the question for just about any endeavor at one point or another, and it often gets complicated. That money idea, the money conversation, the money struggles. So in this conversation, Paige and I are gonna dissect all of the details that go along with that and just try to take some stigma and taboo away and give you some peace of mind and things to take away to better your relationship with Bunny. So if you're ready, Paige, we can go ahead and jump right in. And I would love to know about your background, what you do and why do you do it? Yeah. So I, my background is I have an online business in online business management, and I work with a lot of coaches and entrepreneurs who basically want to launch a business. People come to me and say, hey, I have this brilliant idea. Brilliant. And I just want to share it with the world. I know that it can change people's lives. And it's so great to have that conversation with them. And they're so into their vision and just so committed to get started. But then after working for some time, you see all these entrepreneurs who are so passionate about helping other people. And then they hit a ceiling, right? Obviously, when you launch something, you have to maintain your business by actually making profits. And then I see not all of them, but there are you know, quite a handful of them that eventually get stuck. When we start talking about pricing, when we start talking about sales, people get stuck, right? And now I'm not here coaching people to create products or whatnot, but they know they're coming to me as entrepreneurs. So they know it's a natural part of business to involve money, to involve sales and all that, because you do need money to fund the message of your business. Mm-hmm. Now, here in your podcast, you're calling it, you're not qualified. And what I find is a lot of people, they jump into having a business, whether it's online or whether it's, you know, a brick and mortar business, wanting to help other people and wanting to have financial freedom. But then ultimately at the deep root of it, a lot of us probably feel like we're not qualified to be financially free. If you think about it, like there's a lot of thoughts around it and One of the big things that people, or at least my clients have struggled with is if I'm here to serve, if I'm here to really give and help other people, shouldn't I give what I'm doing for free? Or shouldn't I just charge very little, almost quote unquote dirt cheap 
I don't mm-hmm. like the term dirt cheap. People get it, mm-hmm. like almost mm-hmm. dirt cheap so that it can actually help people. So it's in the end, it's doing a self-sabotage thing and their business has a harder time taking off because in order for you to continue that, you actually need to be in the green in your business. You do need to think about the numbers for you to be able to keep going. And so through this quest, I often see a reflection of myself and my clients and I recognize, oh my gosh, this was, so let me share with you a story. Back in um, 2014, that's when I quit my job. I didn't have any kids yet and I was a newlywed. So I think I was pretty ballsy. I was like, you know what? It's either I do it now or not. So I quit my job while I was in debt with no job waiting for me and just no idea what to do next. Cinderella just told Prince, I'm gonna go take a flying leap. And I remember coming home, having quit my job and just Googling how to get out of debt. And in my search of how to get out of debt, that's when I learned about online business and all that stuff. And this was back in 2014 when probably half of the world sees it as like scammy. So I was pretty scared, but that's how my story started. It was through my own personal journey of getting out of debt, understanding money. And eventually I remember investing in a $10,000 program, coaching program to help me jumpstart my business. It was during that time when I really got involved with my own personal money issues because I was being stretched to make investments for my business, to make investments for myself far beyond than what I've done in the past. And now I'm talking about strategies in business, all these sales talk and whatnot for my coach. And that's when I realized, why am I struggling with putting a price when I know for a fact I hired this coach so that I can make money, Mm -hmm. right? Exactly. And so... I had to really go through some sort of therapy in my own self, journaling, acknowledging every thought, every emotion that comes up whenever money was a conversation, whether it's between me and my husband or my accountability partners or my coach. And through that own personal journey, I recognized and I was able to heal and change that dialogue internally and improve my relationship with money. And I believe that's really ultimately what got my business to where it is. Obviously, there's strategies and whatnot going on, relationships with your clients and all that stuff. But to reach to a point where my business actually is profitable and I'm not stressed whether I'm going to have a client next month or I'll be able to pay you know, my bills and stuff like that, I've reached that point where I'm completely not worried about money. Wow. And I realized that it really ultimately had to do with my relationship with money. And that's why I'm just, that's why I got here. I want to be able to share this message because it was what got me out of my stuck moment. And I know a lot of entrepreneurs are feeling stuck this way, especially if they're just getting started. And if they can just improve that conversation around money, they'll feel unstuck as well. I loved your little note about you were in debt. You quit your job with no plan. And then you invested in a 10,000, is that what it was? $10,000 program to learn how to build a business. So let's talk about debt. And Mm -hmm. it's taboo. It's scary. And especially in America, it's negative towards your credit score. It's so heavy. But how can people get over it? How... Did you, and even like a family conversation when, you know, you come home, your husband comes home and you're like, I quit my job and you have the debt conversation. Like, 
where do people go from there? And how do they make the first step with debt? I can only speak about debt in my own personal experience, obviously. Mm -hmm. But look, here's actually what's crazy about my story. My husband and I quit our jobs at the same time. <laughs> so, oh, so you're in on it together. <laughs> yeah, we were in it together. Okay. So what happened was we were newlyweds and people talk about when you're a newlywed, enjoy your time. You get to be in this extended honeymoon phase. You get to enjoy each other. No kids yet. You have fun, whatever. And that's what you imagine after saying I do. But the thing is, my first year of marriage was far from that. It was very chaotic. It was our first time adulting, essentially, because I got married when I was 21. I'm a millennial, so people my age are probably squirmish about the fact that I got married so early. And I know for a fact that our parents were not very supportive about it because they were worried that we might get ourselves into trouble, essentially, growing up. That's my background. Like I came, We are immigrants. We came from a place where we needed to go to Canada and have a fresh start in life. And that's why people, especially my parents, were very fearful that, look, you might repeat what happened to us to be stuck in that financial turmoil. Yeah. So that's where I came from. But love can't wait. <laughs> and I realized if I'm going to die six months from now, I would rather know that I actually married the love of my life. Mm -hmm. So we got married and having this feeling that you needed to prove yourself and at the same time fighting constantly about money because we were in debt. We couldn't even go to restaurants to swipe our card because we'd feel so guilty oh, knowing yeah. that we were in debt. So it was not the life that we wanted. And we would argue and that's not how we wanted our marriage to be. And so I realized that my frustration in my job, in our financial standing at that time, was affecting our marriage. And marriage for me is very important, even for my husband. And so we needed to find a way to make it work. And that meant for us quitting our jobs, even if it meant just hustling and trying to figure out where to get money to buy food next week, like literally next week, because we didn't have any savings whatsoever. But that was the risk. It was either my marriage or that quote unquote security of whatever wage I was earning that time. Yeah, we were in it together. And I think the reason why I want to bring up the conversation around debt is when people talk about financial freedom, especially if you're coming from a place similar to where I came from, where I came from was like zero. I, I was in debt, no savings. And when you think about mm -hmm. financial freedom, the gap in between that feels so big yep. and so overwhelming. Yeah. And I remember I was like, oh my gosh, like I used to have income. Now I'm zero income. And how do I now pay my debts and be financially free? Oh God, help me. Like it's, it's not going to happen. Yeah. That's yeah. It no, like. it's not going to happen. Yeah. And it must be fate because when I searched how to pay off your debts, all I was literally searching how to pay your debts, Canada, because oftentimes when you Google, it's a bunch of blogs or articles that are from people based in the States, majority of the time. But I specifically typed Canada, and I guess it was fate because the first blog that I saw was from, from someone who was in Canada, and he was my very first mentor. And I would like to say his name is Stefan Polarnos. He goes by Stefan James now. But basically, he has this video talking about debt, managing your finances, blah, blah, blah. And in, in a coaching session, I learned from him that you actually don't need to be rich first to be financially free. And I remember when he said that, I was like, wait, could you repeat that? Huh? I, 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 I don't get it. 
And he said, you don't need to be rich first to be financially free. And I just couldn't wrap my head around it because it couldn't, it doesn't make sense. My idea in my mind to be financially free is like I'm swimming in money and I'm just able to pay off my debts and go travel and all that stuff. But when he said that, I was just mind blown. And that's why I love sharing this message to other people listening, because the moment I truly understood what he meant, that you don't need to be rich first to be financially free, that gap between where I was and financial freedom became smaller. And now it felt actually attainable. Love it. And that is an amazing segue into that exact idea that I really want to like dive further into. And that is that you don't have to be rich to be financially free. So what did he mean? Cause I absolutely don't, I don't see it that way either. Those two things, like they exist only together for my mind. Yeah. So it's definitely not a surprise that a lot of us see it that way, especially now with social media, people flashing, saying, oh, be financially free. And they just show off their big homes and their private jets and all that stuff. And truly, that that is one idea of financial freedom. But when you're getting started, here's how, and this was something that he didn't necessarily portray to me because my coach and I have different perspectives about what financial freedom means, but mm-hmm. it's, the, it's, it's essentially the same message, right? So financial freedom for him, the way he described it, is basically when you're earning passive income and passive income covers your living expenses, okay? Mm-hmm. So for me at that time, how I teach it now to my clients is, look, when other coaches are telling you, oh, you need to be six figures, seven figures to be quote-unquote successful and financially free, The way that I coach my clients is, look, how much is your phone bill? If your phone bill is, say, $50, let's say $100, right? Imagine getting passive income, $100 every month to cover your phone bill. That's literally one checkbox from your list of financial responsibilities that you don't have to think about, right? Mm -hmm. Next, next level to that. How much is, let's say, your mortgage or your rent? Maybe even your weekly worth of groceries, Mm -hmm. right? Let's say it's... I don't know if, if you're single, let's say it's 500. Mm-hmm. I, it depends where, where you live. So it's incremental in a sense, right? So you build up what you need. So it's what my coach taught me that your passive income covers your living expenses. But now I go a step further by actually just putting that into very small financial goals where look, you don't need to aim for six figures of passive income right away. You can start with literally a hundred right? Mm -hmm. That can be life-changing for people, especially nowadays when, you know, the reason why I'm so passionate about this is because I realized how fortunate I am to be in a place where I am, especially during the pandemic. But during the pandemic, people became so more in tune with their sense of freedom, with their finances and all that stuff. And so just imagine if someone was paying for your phone bill, and then next level is someone paying for your rent, your mortgage, like how much load does that is lifted from your shoulders? Oh yeah, that's freedom. That is exactly. freedom. Yeah. So that's how I define it. And there's actually a study and I have to conf- I have to still dig deep into this, but I remember having a conversation with it with another entrepreneur that he was doing this study where in America an average of $5,000 of passive income 
is actually such a game changer for a lot of people, like 5,000 of passive income monthly. And if you think about $5,000, that's not even six figures. So at the essence of it, you really do not need to be rich first to achieve financial freedom, to reap the benefits and the emotion and the sense of financial freedom. Yeah. And passive income, that is described as basically something that you're not working at right at the moment. Like you put in work earlier on and then you receive residual benefits. Is that yes, true? Yes, exactly. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, let me just talk a little bit more about passive income. The way that I coach my clients, and I talk a little bit about this in the other point where we, we, we will be speaking about the real um, wealth pyramid. Mm -hmm. When people think about achieving financial freedom, they often think about, okay, what investments should I make? All that stuff. What should I invest in stocks, crypto, all that? It's all about investing right away. But actually the way that I coach my clients is you need to find your high value skill first. That way, even when you're not earning passive income, let's say you're still trading your time for money. At least this time you're trading your time for high dollars and not like minimum wage or however much income it is. So for example, um, in the coaching industry, just because I use this example because I work with a lot of coaches. So in the coaching industry, it's very standard to get paid at bare minimum. I think the smallest is say, at least with the clients that I'm working with, is they're charging 300 per hour, for example, for a session of coaching. So if you think about that, this client of mine actually, God bless her, she's one of my favorite clients. When she started her business, she was actually working as a waitress, right? She's a single mom working as a waitress. Oh, man. And she <laughs> launched her coaching business. Took her a while to, to get there, but it worked. Like, the idea here is how much she's earning as a waitress is so different compared to what she's earning now as a coach. And oftentimes people think, okay, how can I increase my income? Do I go back to school? All that stuff. No, it's all, the, the economy now is so different you just need to find your high value skill. And for her, it was coaching. She wanted to coach divorced women. That was her passion to help them thrive after divorce. And basically that was her gateway. Like she, from a minimum wage earner or however much she's earning as a waitress, she jumpstart her business by having that active income. She's still trading her time, don't get me wrong, but now she's getting paid high dollars, right? Yeah. So yeah. that high dollars actually creates some sort of padding for your business so that you can now then scale your business, make more investments and yeah. stuff like that. Okay. So there is like a stepping stone way to it. And she probably was, was she waitressing for quite a while on the side while she started her business? Was it like a year or so that she was running it side by side? Two years. Okay. Yeah. So there's a lot of, it's almost like a building of that capital mm -hmm. and then you build in the investments on top. The investments later on, I love that idea. When I talk to my girlfriends about money, it often comes back to the conversation of investment and it's uh, less on figuring out other ways to be paid more for what you do, maybe even already, or what you want to be doing. But that's, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, that's so valuable. And investments with women too, is just, it's a whole other rabbit hole. Let's just talk a little bit about that rabbit hole without getting too far into the deep, dark depths of that rabbit hole. So we're just going to, we're going to follow the white rabbit just a little bit down there. So investing is something that I cannot speak for all women, but the women within my circle, we have often said 
it's just a guy's game. Investing is a man's world. And I do not know enough of the historical concepts behind investing or who it was initially geared towards. I can give a pretty educated guess that it was been leaning towards, geared towards men. And it really feels that way. It almost felt like unapproachable as a woman, like it wasn't meant for me. Within the last three years, I started to get a little bit more into it. And I really fell into it because of a couple of people that I was dating when I was single. And they were like, hey, like you should probably start investing. One person was like, do Robinhood. It's great. So I started just literally buying like one stock on Robinhood. And then a great friend of mine recommended Elevest. And Elevest came a little bit later, uh, actually like within the last couple of weeks. And I was dipping my toes into the investing idea. It is a very complicated area. I went with those two platforms and I am saying to the women out there, if you want to get into investing, look into Robinhood and, and Elevest because of the approachability that they take to investing. It is layman's terms, for lack of a better term, that they present stocks in. And I really like the user interfaces of the apps. They both are available on an app. They really present, okay, this is how much it will cost. This is how much you have bought one stock. This is the percentage has increased or decreased since you bought it, or you can do daily or weekly percentage in increase and decrease. You can also see your overall earnings from that. And it's all on per stock basis right on the screen. Super easy to understand, very digestible and approachable. I highly, highly recommend. If you are on the fence about investing, look, I get it. It's monopoly money, as I used to say to prior employers when it was like, you know, there's a lot of stock grants and stuff in private companies, even publicly traded companies, and they really want to pay you in that as well. And it's daunting. It's like you're throwing your money at something in a gambling type feeling way, and then you let it just sit but I encourage you to just dip a toe in if you're interested. You know, you don't have to go and buy a bunch of stuff. You can buy one stock of something and see if you even like it. If you don't like it, you can maybe make a couple bucks and pull it out if it's not for you. But I also was, you know, in kind of the, the theme of this whole episode, I, I like money, but I don't want to be the type of person that is always chasing wealth at least I didn't want to be because it had, you know, that taboo to it, almost like a negative connotation to it. And that's just my personal experience from growing up. But now I understand that wealth is nothing to be ashamed of. Wealth is something to be celebrated. Wealth is not also just money. And wealth is something that we deserve. Wealth is something that I deserve and you deserve. So if you are afraid to take the leap, afraid of what the stock market is doing right now, which it's, you know, plummeting. The world's in a very economically unstable place right now. So it'll do that. It, it is a very volatile market. I'm sure you know that. It's like the littlest flinch of anything and everybody sells. Run. Run, you clever boy. And remember me. I'm not going to give you stock advice, but just uh, let, just let them 
try to sell you if you're really interested. Look them up and you might actually surprise yourself with what you learn and what you take away. I want to put a beautiful bow on this almost five minute rant and it is you as a woman deserve wealth. You as a woman deserve wealth. So I like to talk about that with women as well, but it's um, good takeaway. Just find something that you're really good at and jump. Don't be afraid. Jump. Even if you have a time consuming job, if a single mom with a waitressing I know, schedule I so can do it, then honestly, anybody can do it because she's a superhero. She is. Yeah. It's, it's really impressive. And so here's the thing. Now, when I usually bring up having to find that high value skill and charging high dollars, a lot of people actually get stuck there because they feel so much guilt, especially like, oh my gosh, should I actually be charging this much for this service? That's scary. And there's a reason why I talk about developing a high value skill first rather than diving into investments right away. Yes, Mm -hmm. diversifying is important, investments and all that. But the reason there is when you talk about the stock market and investments, it's detached from you, generally speaking. So meaning your investments, let's say you're doing the traditional route and and you're investing in stocks and stuff like that. It's reliant on the economy. So it's up and down. And it's really down right now. Yeah, (laughs) people people get scared. So the reason why I encourage my clients to find their high value skill first is because no matter what happens to the economy, it's so priceless to have this sense of personal control that, look, I'm confident. I know how I can make myself money, Mm -hmm. right? And it's because of your high value skill. No one, no boss, no, no economy cycle can take that away from you because it's your innate skill that's within you. That's your personal skill. And that's why it's so crucial to have that. Because sure, let's say, um, and this is very common now, people, let's say, become rich with like almost overnight millionaires because of cryptocurrency, especially nowadays, that's such a big talk. And yeah. yes, that's a reality. It, it is happening to a lot of people. And let's just think about the fact, for example, if the economy just drops and something happens and they lose all of their investments or say freak things in life, let's say your house burns down or whatever, Mm -hmm. like you lose everything. A lot of the times people can fall into this sense of depression. Oh my gosh, who am I now? Everything I worked for is gone. And I actually see that because I travel a lot and right now I'm here in Lipa and just recently actually there was a typhoon right? Mm -hmm. Where a lot of people in, thankfully it's not where I'm currently at, but in the other province, a lot of people literally lost their jobs. They lost their farms because Mm -hmm. of the typhoon. Yeah. So for something that's very tragic, right? And if you have, let's say, relied on a source of income that's not congruent, let's say it's not reliant on you. Like, how do you pick yourself up? That's why I encourage my clients to have a high value skill that they can charge high dollars so that no matter what happens in the world, you have that innate confidence to keep going because you know that you can make yourself money. So that's the first step. And now it's all about having to deal with the guilt around it. The guilt around it. Yeah. Oh God. Okay. (laughs) The listeners for this podcast oftentimes might tune in because they are wanting to develop a high value skill. They want to develop something that gives back to the world and Around that comes the guilt of making money around something that you are contributing to the world that you might feel like charging for is not fair. 
charging for you don't deserve as you mentioned before, and like a dirt cheap product because they want to make it accessible to everybody, right? So how do people deal with that guilt? Yeah, so guilt is so common. And you know what, I think maybe it's just my observation, but with the clients that I work with who are mostly women, I think this is an issue that we often have because we're just so used to giving and we're taught to give, especially now there's this buzz term that, oh, be generous, give. Mm -hmm. And especially for us, we have a tendency to overgive as women, I think. It's just how it was from generations. But now it's time to change that story. Cheers. And so how do you deal with that guilt? And this is how I, what I at least teach my clients because this is what I personally do for myself. I came from a place where I felt massively guilty too about charging, you know, I remember I started off my coaching program and this is so crazy, like just revealing all of these. But I remember when I started my coaching program and I'm just a newbie coach. This was back in 2018 when I launched my coaching program. Mm -hmm. My coach said, nope, you got to charge more, at least this amount. So I was charging 350 per session, which was actually being paid monthly. So that's, it's a little bit more because people had to pay in advance. I remember I was like, Oh my God. Who's even going to pay that? <laughs> yeah. Like who, first, like who's gonna, even going to pay that? And I, I was wondering like, oh my gosh. But then I realized, look, I paid my coach far more than that. So mm. there is someone out there willing to make this type of investment um, in themselves. And I also believe in my ability to, to be able to do this successfully. But I remember I felt so guilty about that. And I thought about, okay, I always, so uh, what I did was I reflected on myself. I'm always thinking about ways to grow my business, to scale my earnings. How can I earn more? How can I grow my business? How can I make more revenue and stuff like that? And But there was this tiny voice of guilt, even though I know that I wasn't doing anything wrong. It's not like I'm stealing people's money. I'm actually offering value. But how do you deal with that guilt? So my personal solution and what I share now with people is just like how you have a plan for scaling your business, for growing your income, have a plan for giving, for being generous, have a plan for sharing with other people. So what that might look like may be different for everyone. If you're just starting, maybe it's about investing your time, maybe volunteering or something. And I like to tell people, you know, put your money where your mouth is. It's so popular now to just share a bunch of stuff on Facebook and say, support this cause or whatever, but you're actually not like maybe put a little bit of donation, like mm -hmm. actually put in in that way that look, I can earn this much because I know that I'm cap like I'm actually able to use what I'm earning for a greater purpose. You're not just hoarding it for yourself, but you actually have a plan on how you want to give first. So for example, for me and my family, we love being involved in our church community. So it's a big part of our giving where we really want to be able to help. And this, this is not what people ask of us, but mm -hmm. our personal passion is we like making sure that the temples and chapels are nicely groomed and clean. And so we like to make donations that's for the upkeeping of chapels, right? Mm -hmm. So that's just how I like to get rid of the guilt to have a plan, not just for growing, but also for giving. And I think what's important here is, and it's, it happens naturally, as you grow your income, your plan for giving naturally just grows too. If before you're maybe all you could afford, let's say is donating maybe $5 at a animal shelter, for example, if that's something that you're passionate about, 
it's going to like maybe after you increase a certain milestone in your finances, you'll be able to increase that. Yeah. So that's how I get rid of the guilt. <laughs> that's actually, it's genius. And it can be so flexible depending, like you could donate to whatever you want, but you could also sign up for monthly donations. You can sign yeah. up for a one-time donation. You can, and it can be super small. You could do like $2 a month. When I, I moved to Seattle eight years ago and I was just like starting out and like, the tech industry and making a little bit more money. And I felt guilty that I was spending more money on supporting like animal rights stuff than I was supporting human rights stuff, which is like a whole, probably a little bit of a nuance of the guilt, but I was like, my money's still going to one place and I don't have a whole lot of extra income. So to combat that guilt, I ended up supporting a little girl in the Philippines through one of those organizations where you can donate monthly. And I've been donating for seven years now, but it's such a wow. low amount that it, even when I barely had money, it still was like mm -hmm. nominal. It didn't really matter. I barely realized it was gone. And now it's, you get like little cards and stuff from, and she's like in seventh grade and yeah, doing -changing amazing. Yeah. And it helps her family put food on the table very literally. So it's like those little things did a lot for even the guilt of where I put my money. And what I did too, and I don't know if people can relate to this, but I remember when I was just getting started, I just love in, in ingesting all of these free information online. I have my favorite YouTubers and all that stuff. And I remember I started, you know what? This person has been helping me for so long now. I'm going to start donating. I'm going to start putting in money on their Patreon. Or I remember there's this woman that I follow for my yoga practice. And I've been following her, been doing all her free yoga videos on YouTube. And I said, you know what? She came out with a program, like a subscription program. I'm going to go and, and support this. But just little things like that. I think it's just, it eventually grows. Like you, generosity is like a muscle. And the more generous we are with our lives not just our money but like with our lives the more we almost that, that feeling of guilt starts to diminish right yeah because now you're focused in not the guilt but rather the feeling of the generosity that that you feel within you absolutely and you feel more well-rounded and it's it's a good feeling to be able to give back to your community and especially if you can see the fruits of your labor like even I feel like a, a form of currency that is not monetary is you subscribing to this woman that was the yoga instructor. And then when she actually comes out with something that you can pay for, you can support her monetarily too. But a big part of her success would have been you subscribing because that gives her higher on the algorithm or what have you. So more people will watch her, but yeah, it doesn't have to be monetary either. Like it could be your time. It could be your, it could be the subscription, but there's everything that just gives back. I love yeah, it. It's all about giving back. Yeah. It is. So there are tons of people that probably have, we've been talking about this whole time, that taboo, that toxic feeling around money, but you have this great phrase, joyous money versus toxic money. And I want to dive in. So what do you mean by that? Because joyous money sounds much nicer. <laughs> we all want joyous money. Yeah, so, I think I want that. <laughs> yeah. No one wants toxic money, just no one likes to be around toxic people. Yes. But unfortunately, it gets passed around quite often. <laughs> mm. Oh, yeah. 
So here's the thing. So when I remember when I was in debt and just trying to figure out all this stuff and even growing up, I remember seeing my mom, like we would go to grocery stores and whenever she would see the bill in the cashier, she'd be like, ugh, so expensive. Like she'd go like, ugh. ugh. Like, and it would be like, oh my gosh, mom, let's, why don't we just put back some of the stuff? You and know, you're like, you I don't have to eat today. <laughs> like it's yeah, like, like so sad. <laughs> that's literally, and frankly, this story is actually not uncommon, especially with people who are also immigrants like me. It's pretty common. Yeah, like that's how I remember buying groceries growing up. <laughs> and when I started adulting, when I moved out, got married, I remember doing groceries with my husband. And when we were in debt, I brought that same energy with me. And I remember, oh my gosh, like I remember being in the till and acting like that. And I was like, for a moment, I was like, oh my gosh. I remember my mom, like I'm turning into my mom. And not it's that it's a bad- worst fear realized. Right? <laughs> it's not necessarily a bad thing, but it's the bad habits of your parents that you mm. don't want to, to mm-hmm. get. So I, I realized that and I was like, this is not good because I know that my mom is not in a good financial standing. Unfortunately, it's something that you can't really help people. You could pay for stuff for them, but ultimately their own relationship with money is something that they have to really heal and deal with themselves. I remember this was around the time I was already working with a coach and my mentor was all already making me aware of my own personal thoughts and feelings about money. I journaled a lot about it. I was hyper aware of every single thought that would come to my mind if it's about money. And I said, you know what? Nope. I'm going to change that. So every time I would pay the bill and I remember, and when you're in debt, it's so painful to pay your bills. <laughs> I'm pretty sure people can relate when you're in debt. It's so painful to pay for your bills or even to pay your debt. Like, Oh, it's so there's this and it never goes feeling. down. Yeah. yeah. Like the interest just keeps piling. <laughs> yes. So I remember I was like, no, I'm not going to react that way. Even if that initial feeling was, you know, I don't want to look at this. Even if that was the initial feeling, I would like instantly and consciously snap myself and say, nope, Paige, we do not think. So instead I would change how I say it and I would swipe my card and say, thank you. Even if at first it didn't feel like I meant it because there was a little bit of grudge there, just keep saying thank you. And over time, because everything is a muscle, right? Just like your brain is a muscle that changes over time as you evolve, you could train yourself into training that that positive money muscle and healing your traumas around money. So I remember every time I would pay something, I would just say, thank you for letting me purchase this because I, even though my bank account, let's say, is going to turn into zero after buying this grocery, at least I actually have money to buy groceries. Thank you for allowing me to pay for my mortgage, for my rent. Thank you for allowing me to pay for my car payments and stuff like that. So I would just say thank you. And over time, I realized that money is literally just an energy exchange. So that the moment that I realized this was, I remember I spoke about my story about being a newlywed and mm-hmm. how our financial troubles was affecting our marriage. And around that time, even though this was back in 2014, we were getting paid direct auto debit deposits. So we weren't even holding any checks. We weren't even holding any cash. Everything was in your card. It gets deposited straight to your bank. So I remember just being so frustrated about money. And I said, I realized, hold on a second. Why am I feeling like this, this thing has control over me? And why am I letting it make me feel so terrible? when I can't even physically hold it. 
right? Mm -hmm. I keep telling myself we've stolen a great deal of money, but up to now, I've yet to see a penny of it. Something that is, it's literally just a figment of the mind at that point, because you can't see it, you can't hold it, it's digital. But why does it have this much grip on me? And that's when I realized that it's just energy. And it sounds like fairy stuff like that, but cuckoo and whatever they say nowadays, <laughs> but it, it literally is just energy. That back in the day, we used to trade gold and then we started trading into fiat money, like the paper monies and stuff like that. And now we're shifting into dig like completely digital crypto money. Yeah. And it's literally something that you're not holding. Money is money, but it, the form changes every time. But the only thing that doesn't change is energy. I'm pretty sure people back in the day felt that, you know, when they had to give away their gold to pay their bill, for example. Yeah. So it's just energy. And when I realized this, I started to put this energy into black and white just to make things simple for my brain. Do I want money that causes me trouble? So for example, when I'm pretty sure people here who have businesses have encountered at one point, especially in the early days of your business, clients who do pay you, what are, a, sad to say, headaches, yeah. <laughs> a source of headache, right? <laughs> yeah. So I would say that can be a form of toxic money, right? And you don't want that. You want clients who are happily paying for you, pays on time, and knows that they're making investments that truly is meaningful to them. And so I started labeling money energy into two different categories, joyous money versus toxic money. And it just, just for the sake of making it simple for my own personal brain, <laughs> I distinguished it that way. And every time I would react or think about money, I would put those thoughts and reactions into those buckets. Am I reacting in a joyous way or am I reacting in a toxic way? Am I receiving this money in a joyous way or in a toxic way? So there are some ways for you to multiply joyous money in your life because like you said everyone wants joyous money and unfortunately a lot of the times toxic money gets passed off so for example if you're paying your mortgage and you're paying oh mortgage payments again i'm so stressed i've actually talked to people who are who would react that way mm -hmm. you're passing on toxic money and whatever you give it, it goes back to you right people can feel it for example if you're let's say going into let's say a brick and mortar business. If you're, uh, let's just say Walmart, because everyone can picture it in their minds. Mm -hmm. If you walk into Walmart and you pay your, you're at the till, and then you start complaining at the cashier, you're putting in that, that toxic energy into that exchange. And that just gets passed on. Our energy is so contagious to people. And I believe that even money, that money too can, is pretty contagious, like how you pass off money. So the way that you react to it, you just have to put it in certain buckets like joyous money or toxic money. And you have to think about how can you multiply joyous money into your life? So for example, if you're a business owner, when I charge my clients, do I feel confident and good about my services? that it's actually helping them. That way, it doesn't matter what amount you put in there, you're able to charge them joyously. And I'm pretty sure if, if you are confident that you're doing an amazing job, your clients will return that joyous money back to you, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. so that's so the much whole concept energy. around it. Yeah. yeah. In the example of a toxic client that 
you are not necessarily contributing to that toxicity, but they're just bringing it. Are you trying to get toxicity to a zero or are you just trying to balance toxicity versus joyous money, toxic money versus joyous money? Yeah. So a lot of the times that I, when people think about money and especially this is at least how I, when I got started, Mm -hmm. a lot of people fear money because we often have this notion that, for example, oh, she changed or he changed. The moment he became rich, he mm-hmm. changed, right? Mm-hmm. Like people have this idea that peop- that money can change people and turn them into this monster or whatever, <laughs> or that celebrities who are supposedly successful have all of this wealth, suddenly have troubled marriages and broken homes and stuff like that. Because media has put that into us. We innately fear money sometimes. Mm-hmm. And this whole idea of toxic money, you don't necessarily you can bring it to zero you want as little as little of it as possible right Mm -hmm. and at the end of the day you can choose to have zero toxic money and meaning for example in that client for example that that difficult client you can choose to let that go right yeah you can choose to let that do you mean like the toxicity like just flow off of you and not harbor it or like fire the client (laughs) fire the client that's it that's it you are out. What? What do you mean I'm out? You're fired. <laughs> oh, okay. Great. Yes. There comes a point in business, and I remember, I understand, especially when you're getting started, that it might be difficult to do that. But mm-hmm. frankly, at least in my own personal experience, when you let go of a toxic client, you're opening up space for someone who's a better match, right? That's the way that I see it. You're not losing anything. So when you accept that toxic money, for example, sure, you may have that money in the bank, but maybe it took something else like peace of mind, right? Maybe it's harder to sleep at night because this client keeps giving you a hard time and it's stressing you out. It's taking something from you, right? Mm -hmm. So when you let go of that client, you allow space for actually the right type of client to step in to fill in that spot. That idea of letting go of that toxic client and being scared that, oh my gosh, but I'm gonna lose this money comes from that scarcity mindset mm-hmm. that often we're, we're brought with. And that's just the source of, that's because of the toxic money ideas that we've had growing up or that we've observed from other people. But yeah, it's about letting go of that. You you don't want it anyway. Yeah, like, frankly, you don't want it anyway. Yeah. The yeah. peace of mind is far more, you know, price pricey really like what price tag do you put on peace of mind absolutely that has so many parallels to so many things you've talked about it can loop into well you and your husband quit your jobs at the same time because it was a toxic environment and you were just fighting about money so you're like let's just band together and figure this out together without that outside toxic energy and with the toxic client it can go into if you feel like somebody in your life negatively impacts your money, then you can even just shut them out for even just a little bit. Like mine would be sometimes like my parents, like a lot of us. So you don't want to mm-hmm. just completely cut them off, but you can set boundaries. Actually, love that's, from a distance. Love from a distance. <laughs> yes. That's actually, I don't think that I mentioned it before, but now that like triggers, that is something so deep for me is your parents' influence on your money as an adult and Mm -hmm. what they say about it. Like maybe they didn't have money, so they might be like 
jealous or, but it comes out in different ways. They do still love you. Have you ever coached clients through that type of parent toxicity because you can't get rid of it? What's interesting actually is I got, I get a lot of clients who are much older than me and Mm -hmm. oftentimes are parents. I personally had to go through that. I think it's not so much about what my parents say about my investments or where I spend my money, but, um, like, let me think about, about a time that my parents actually, so for example, me moving a lot. So me and my husband, every two years from ever since we got married and we're going to be celebrating our 10th year anniversary. Oh my gosh. Congratulations. (laughs) Thank you. So every two years, ever since we got married, we would move. And a lot of the times moving, and I'm not talking about moving to the same, in the same city, just a block away. I'm talking about provinces and states like we would and now countries and our parents would be so frightful about it because they feel like we're just wasting money Uh you know because moving requires a lot of money to move your stuff and tickets and flights and all that stuff and I remember they would feel frustrated about it and say how what are you doing what are you building your life you're just wasting your time doing all these moves all the time so that was around the time that my parents would I guess try to figure out our money stuff But frankly, and maybe it's different, like my parents are still struggling with money sometimes that, Mm -hmm. and they're aware of it. So they don't really like giving financial advice. Mm -hmm. And I know not to ask from them because they, I know they can't help me like, unfortunately, but yeah, I know there are some parents who are a little handsy about what you do with your money and stuff like that. The idea there is just don't get advice or ask advice from people that, you won't trade your life with, right? Mm. So if they don't have the financial standing that you want to have, don't take their advice. Don't even ask for advice. Some people, they ask for advice from people and they, like, it mm-hmm. doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't just apply with money, but with everything in life, relationships, your health, your fitness, whatever it is. Don't ask advice from someone who doesn't have the results that you want to have. Who yeah. don't have the results yet. That's because like, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. And it's a whole other form of manifesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in becoming the next level of who you want to be, it's you surround yourself with that kind of energy. Yeah. And what you're seeking. That's really interesting. I love money, but I think that it's a very important part, my reality, but it's also something that I've learned to disconnect with in the way that it makes me feel. So this is like a really great conversation. And around that, mantras are something that I really love to adopt in my life. I typically do it when I'm on very long runs and I'm trying to get through without shutting down and going to the couch. But (laughs) there are thousands of years old. Mantras are from way, way back. People have been saying these things out loud to bring prosperity, better their lives, what have you. And you have a really beautiful idea around developing mantras around money and not like worshiping money, but just speaking energy to it. So I'd love to learn more about that. So I remember just listening to these YouTube videos and like just playing money affirmations and mantras and stuff like that. And some of them would be so amazing, but then you would encounter some affirmations and mantras that feel like they're worshiping money it makes me uncomfortable right Mm -hmm. because just like you I love money I I want more of it Mm -hmm. I know what I can what I what good I can use it for 
But at the same time, I know it's not the end all be all. I know it's not money that actually makes my business fulfilling. It's a mix of the relationships I have with my clients. It's the freedom that I have time-wise and location-wise, right? And obviously it's nice that we, I can take my kids out on a vacation every month and not have to worry so much about it. But at the end of the day, it's not the end all be all. And especially uh, someone like me, I am very much entrenched in my own faith. The idea that money is like the highest thing or, oh, I don't know. There's just money mantras out there. It just makes me feel like they're worshiping money. Mm -hmm. So what I like to share with my clients, with people that I talk to, even with just my friends or myself, every time that I think about growing my business, every time that I think about increasing my prices, every time that I think about, you know, saving and making investments and stuff like that, I have two go-to mantras. And the first one is every profit has a purpose, right? So this is very crucial for my business growth. I remember just utilizing it, using it, saying it every time that I, when I was growing my business from the very start and even up to now, it's something that, that I could still use and it's still very much relevant. Every profit has a purpose. And this goes back and ties into that feeling of giving. Because just like you, I'm pretty sure everyone listening here, you wanted to start a business because you wanted to make a shift, make a change, leave a positive dent in the world. And unfortunately, a lot of these dreams and these aspirations to make a difference, to change someone's life, lots of dreams die prematurely because of their baggages and unhealthy relationship around money. And so this is why I'm on this mission is I want to make sure that entrepreneurs, whether you're just starting and typically as you become a seasoned entrepreneur, it does go away. Hopefully you have dealt with it. It does go away. But yeah, so my idea here is lots of dreams prematurely die because let's say you're not able to fund your business anymore because your business requires money for it to grow, to keep sending the message out there. This podcast, putting it together, requires money and energy to Mm -hmm. put it together. So when you need to fund something like that, and the idea is you want to make sure that you're able to tell yourself and remind yourself why you started that in the first place. So every profit has a purpose. When you're creating projects, when you're selling a course, when you're, you know, pitching your coaching program, for example, There is no guilt around that because, and you're reminded constantly of the purpose why you're doing it. So that's one, every profit has a purpose. It's not just for your luxury car. It has, it has a deeper purpose out there, which I think is what people are after. People are after fulfillment. Mm -hmm. They actually want to connect with people, especially now with COVID. I think a lot of, I don't know about you, but a lot of people in the online space that I know, including myself, we are looking for ways to expand our business offline because we miss people. We just miss having that physical interaction with people. So the other one is I am blessed to bless others, right? So as we reach certain milestones in our own personal life, so for example, for me, remember when I told you, okay, the first goal is to be able to earn enough passive income to pay off for my phone bill, next to pay off for my grocery bill, Mm -hmm. then to pay off for my mortgage and stuff like that your dream will keep expanding as you evolve as a person. And that's fine. When you're aspiring for more blessings for yourself, what I realize is the more capable you are to actually bless other people as well. So for example, I love just the freedom of being able to move here. I remember 
when we relocated in Lipa, we suddenly had an influx in our income just because of the currency difference. Mm-hmm. What I experienced for the first time that I saw in real, like in real life, real time, face to face, was someone that I had just met. His child got diagnosed with childhood cancer, mm-hmm. le- leukemia, and I remember because a lot of people here are not necessarily as privileged as I am, and I recognize that because I came from Canada. We were able to give money for chemotherapy treatments and that for me i'm not like saying it to brag to people but Mm -hmm. i want to i recognize that god Mm -hmm. thank you that i'm earning this amount of money for in my business because i'm able to help someone and literally help someone survive help someone a child even yeah recognizing that your blessings it's not bad to aspire for something bigger look hey if you want a private jet because that means you maybe want to fly to, I don't know, let's say Africa, because it's a common example. Mm-hmm. And you want to be able to just help build homes, build schools, go for it, right? Mm-hmm. If that's going to allow you more freedom to give to people, go for it. Dream big. Like, yeah. I'm not saying it's wrong to aspire for six figures, seven figures, eight figures. Go for it. Because your blessing has a purpose, just like your profit, and you're blessed to bless others. Uh, I love it. I think of a little mantra myself and I love you deserve to be financially wealthy and financially free. It's like you deserve it. You deserve it. And you're actually, I think as a good ending to this, like I said, a lot of people feel that they're not qualified to be financially free. Mm. But now with the whole concepts that we shared here, hopefully now you recognize that you are actually qualified you're far more qualified for financial freedom oh yeah far more than you might ever realize and far more than you think that you can grasp but you can grasp it 100 percent. exactly even like much sooner than you think you can and that's yeah that's just such a beautiful way to end it like you nailed it (laughs) but is there anything else that you want to add that we might have missed in terms of so, relationship with money? There's there's quite a lot to talk about, but I, you could easily find me on Instagram or on YouTube. I do make <laughs> videos about it quite often, just money talks and stuff like that. And you could also just check out the social profiles. You can find my links on my website. I do have a course that I can dive deep into more step-by-step process of my own personal journey, how I got here, if you are interested about that. But they're all on the, I guess we'll just share it on the show notes. Yeah, we'll show the because, all of that on the show notes, yeah. the, the website, the social handles, and all of that detail is on the website. That's amazing. So are you abroad for the foreseeable future then? I'm here until winter, so we'll see where we go next. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, Avoiding but the I... Canada winter. So <laughs> smart. <laughs> yeah, and you know what? Like if people have, I guess I've never really opened this up in other podcasts, but if anyone here is listening and let's say you have a certain money mindset or something that's troubling you, you recognize in yourself and you want someone to talk to about that, feel free to DM me. I'm happy to help shift your perspective and because I really believe that a lot of dreams die prematurely. And if I can help other entrepreneurs get over that, that emotional baggage, mm-hmm. we can literally shift the world. Because look, I'm here as an entrepreneur. My, my goal is that our businesses collectively will make the world a much better place, not just for us while we're living in it, for the next generation. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. And it's so applicable all of the time, money. It spans generations. But even now with 
so many, I don't want to say children, that's derogatory, very young people making a lot of money on social media can be daunting, but it's like, it doesn't mean that you cannot also make money in the same ways if you want to, or any of that, but there's so many ways to make money and fuel your life and give back to the world in your own ways. But thank you so much for your time, Paige. I really appreciate it. And I hope that you and your family are thriving in your summer climate. I'm so jealous. <laughs> thank you. Well, you can come visit if we're still here. <laughs> I will. I'll make it out there sometime, I'm sure. I will let you go. And I'd love to stay in touch. Of course, we'll all, all of this stuff will be in the show notes for contacting you. Thank you so much for offering the DM for people to reach out ad hoc. Yeah. I, I hope that people will continue to dwell on this and then ask you some questions. Thank hey. you so much. Thank you so much, Paige. See you later. All right. Take care. Bye. Bye. Hi, friends, and welcome to the end of the episode. I'm so happy to see you here. Thank you very much, very much for listening. It was a absolute pleasure to talk to Paige. Money is something that I've been anxious around for almost my whole life, and I know that I am not alone in that, and in fact, it might be just the majority of people have had anxiety around money in one way or the other. The one thing that I think would be most beneficial, at least in my view, to take away from this episode is you control your own money narrative, okay? Nobody else controls your money narrative. Take all of the bits and pieces that you learned from Paige in this and know that you deserve to thrive, you deserve wealth, you deserve money, and you deserve to be financially wealthy and financially free. You deserve to have no toxicity around money or as much as you can control, right? Because we can't get toxicity to zero usually. We can darn near get it close. And if you do get it to zero, let me know how you did it. But especially in the anxiety realm around it, I would love to know. So don't fret about it and know that you deserve it. Go out there and get it. Go out there and do that thing that you really want to do. Go do that thing, please. And tell me all about it when you do. But do that thing you're afraid to do. Don't be uh, afraid of making money from it. Don't feel guilty making money from it. You deserve the wealth and the world needs you. And if you make money doing it, doing whatever it is, that thing that you want to do and you go do it and you make money, then geez, like that's, that's a feat and that's amazing and you should celebrate it. I uh, linked all of Paige's handles in the show notes. So if you would like to get in touch with her, please, please do. She has a plethora of videos on YouTube that are all around entrepreneurship and around money and uh, a lot of, you know, like basically kind of self-esteem as you're working through all of this within yourself and branching out on your own and making money on your own and having a very healthy relationship with yourself, your goals, and your money. So please get in touch with her if you would like. Where can you find me? Again, my name is Courtney Heater. This is the You're Not Qualified podcast. You can find me on my website, which has uh, two socials linked there as well, yourenotqualifiedpodcast.com. I am on Instagram at YNQPod. That's Y-N as in Nancy Q-Pod. I'm on Twitter 
at YNQ Podcast. I'm also on TikTok, and I say this every time, but it's it's a work in progress. Uh, it's also at YNQ Pod, at YN as a Nancy Q Pod. And I uh, have an email address if that is your preferred method of contact. It's kind of replacing snail mail these days. And that's ynqpod at gmail.com. And I would love to hear from you. Please, if you're listening to this on a platform that allows you to rate and subscribe, please do that. I would love to see your rating and uh, know that you are enjoying this and finding this helpful. If you want to tweet at me or go ahead and put something on Instagram, get in touch with me to let me know how you like this, I would be delighted. The feedback I have gotten is really rad and the, the amount of people that comment about what topics they really like, it really helps me understand the direction to go because I'm you know, sneaking in on 20 episodes here. So I don't even know what a novice versus intermediate level is for podcasting, but I think that I'm feeling more comfortable with it. So maybe that's a good gauge of growth. And once we hit 20 episodes, but I would love to hear from you. So please get in touch. Also, if you know of anybody that you think would be an excellent fit for this podcast, please send them my way and get in touch with me via email or any of the other handles. I'm pretty active in all of them. And I would love, love, love to meet them. Or if you are, love to meet you. Okay, so trivia. We talk a little bit about investing in this episode. I did only do really one, uh, one cut in commentary because the stuff was just so good and I'm not a money expert so I let Paige take it all but with the one that I did talk about that I'm really passionate about is investing and women specifically investing so I was really curious of in the United States what percentage of women invest in the stock market or invest in general versus men and in 2021 NerdWallet did a survey they found 48% of women currently invest in the stock market compared to 66% of men. And it says what's even more alarming is women are less likely than men to have even learned about investments. I fall into that category until as of a couple years ago, as I said, that a couple of people that I was dating introduced me and they're like, you really got to get on this and I'm happy to help you. And I did. And I'm glad that I did because it's... You know, obviously I'm not a millionaire or anything, and I didn't hop on the Bitcoin, the Bitcoin rage when it was like 10 years ago or whatever. Uh, darn it, I wish I had. I could probably buy a mansion by now or something, but mansion maybe in the Midwest, I don't know. <laughs> but it's it's a hot place to go if you are okay sitting on money for a while and watching it grow. At least in my experience, I know there's people that like put it in and take it out, but if you are a woman, especially and you are nervous about investing, the platform that I did mention, and of course, guys, this is not sponsored. I'm not sponsored by Elevest. I'm not sponsored by Robinhood. But the this platform, Elevest, is geared towards women. And one of their goals is to make investing much more approachable for women. And it, that it is. They've done their job. It's very approachable. I love the platform. So if you're nervous, you're a woman, even if you're a man, like they don't gate it. So if you're nervous at all, please go check that out and see if you like what they have to offer. And you might, you might just like it. You might. Okay, guys. Well, have a, a great Thursday. 
I appreciate you for being here and I will see you next Thursday. Okay, bye.